week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. And greetings to you, Christina, and <laughs> greetings everyone else. Welcome to Magical Medical. This is so much fun. <laughs> I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide along with Christina today as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy uh, searching for optimal health. And today we're going to be revisiting with uh, Scott Spaulding, who has been on two times before. He is a gentleman who uh, was diagnosed with colon cancer, and we'll get into his story, but we don't know what's happening, and this is what's going to be part of today's show. But before we do that, I want to thank everybody personally for nominating us for the 11th Annual Podcast Awards in our two categories, Magical Medical Tour and Health and Flowing into Awareness. Uh, we will be hearing soon about whether or not we actually got into the final. So everybody stay tuned. We'll send out notifications to everyone, and hopefully you'll vote for us if we get in. If you need to check, you can go to podcastawards.com. Uh, so thank you again for that, and we really do appreciate that here on Magical Medical Tour and Yoga Hub. Uh, Christina, if people want to get in touch with us, how do they do that? Yes, thank you. Um, now, at any, at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question, make a comment, just simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Now, if you're listening to this as a podcast, um, you can always pick up the phone and call us at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you, Dr. Woolman. You're welcome. So I want to introduce and reintroduce uh, Scott Spaulding. Scott, welcome. Hello, Scott. Welcome back. Gosh, <laughs> thank you for having me on the show again. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yes, yes. It's great to have you. <laughs> Scott, it's, great to be, it's great to be here, that's what I say. Oh, you man, know. you are looking great. When, when people say, uh, you know, good to see you again, I always say now, uh, it's good to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Scott, I want to review for a few moments and bring people up to date, and then we'll find out how things are going. Uh, so as I do that, if you have any uh, thoughts or corrections for me, please do that. Back uh, and, and I also want to take a moment to thank you because one of the things that happened when we met and we started working together when you were diagnosed is that you agreed to come on the show without any knowledge of how this was going to turn out. It took a lot of courage on your part to face all of us and put yourself out there for our audience, and it's been very helpful to them. <clears throat> so I wanted to thank you for that personally. Of course, it's been. Uh, I've heard. I've heard from people that have watched the show, and the people that I've heard from have gotten a lot of out of it. So I want to also thank you guys for putting on this show because I think it's a, a real benefit for everybody all around the world. Excellent. So basically, uh, back in 2015, you had had a couple of episodes of blood in your stools over time, and around April of last year, you went for a biopsy. 
And then around April 23rd or April 27th, you were diagnosed with invasive adenocarcinoma of the distal sigmoid colon. So that means kind of an aggressive cancer of the, uh, near the end of the colon. And at that time, we got together, and our plan was to get you a healthcare team, which included uh, a hospital that you would feel comfortable in, a surgeon that you would uh, trust and feel comfortable with, a radiation oncologist, a hematology oncologist, and a primary care doctor. Seems a lot, but we got that done. And we did our first show, which was episode 132, uh, and that was back in August. And at that time, you then went through pre-surgical radiation and chemotherapy, and you were about to have your surgery. We did our second show, which was episode 135, and that was a great show. We did it actually when you were recovering. You were still in the hospital, recovering from uh, the time when they took out the cancer from your colon, and they gave you a new place to... Uh, have your stools, which was in an ileostomy. And that's where we left off, right? That's right. Yeah. The last show was from my hospital bed for, for added drama, I think two or three days after uh, surgery. And, and we've gotten a lot of hits on that show. Uh, it's been very effective and it's helped a lot of people. I know that. So <clears throat> as we move forward, you then got out of the hospital and you now had this ileostomy bag. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes because I know a lot of people that are going to go through things that you went through are faced with that. And most of them, uh, it's not a very appealing concept. So let's talk about the ileostomy for a few minutes. Why don't you tell us what you were thinking about before and how you dealt with it? Well, you know, for anyone, you know, there's people that have had either ileostomies or, uh, or colostomies and people who haven't. And for anybody that hasn't, you obviously don't know what it's going to be like. There's a lot of mystery around it. It's, it's definitely an unnatural situation compared to the normal biological function. And so, you know, you don't really have expectations because you don't really know what it's going to be like. And so there's some fear, there's some uh, mystery, there's some, you know, what's it, it's gonna, is it going to be terrible? And it's definitely, uh, my experience anyway, it's, it's, it's definitely something that is not as good as not doing it. Having said that, there's a lot of things in life that are like that. Um, for me and for many people with a diverting ileostomy, which is what I had, it's designed to be temporary. And that's something, if, if that is the case as it was for me, that's something that can that people can find solace in and say, this is something that I can deal with for, you know, four, five, six, seven months, whatever, or longer, whatever it might be. I know there's going to be an, an end to it, or at least that's the plan to be able to return to sort of not normal biological function. And so for me, you know, there's, an, there, and for most people, there's an adjustment period of learning how to live with it, how to uh, you know, deal with the mechanics of it, um, and you know, living life with uh, with the bag. And for me, it was uh, you know there was certainly an adjustment period. Uh, for me, um, for in my experience, there was uh, a, a change of bag type, which uh, after about a, a month or so of having uh, the bag that I was given in the hospital, I changed to a different type of bag. And that was a huge improvement for me in terms of day-to-day -day living and quality of life. 
And so for anyone that's going through this, I would uh, encourage them to, you know, do the research, to talk to multiple people, ostomy nurses, physicians, to talk about different types of products to see what might be the best fit for, for that person. Uh, because there, there, there could be, uh, as there was for me, room for improvement. And so towards the end, I had it for about seven months. And towards the end, it was something uh, that I was able to live with uh, day to day uh, without a tremendous amount of quality of life impact. Having said that, there was definitely a quality of life impact for me, but um, it was something that turned out to me to be to be manageable. Yeah, that's a very good point, and I think this is something a takeaway for a lot of people is that you know you go through the process. And the doctors tell you this is the bag. They put it on. The ostomy nurses say this is the bag. And as a patient, you say, okay, this is it. And if there are complications, you just say, that's acceptable because this is what they told me. But taking, uh, taking the reins yourself and becoming the patient as the CEO, as one of our other uh, shows talked about, to looking into other possibilities and seeing if you can improve it. So you did improve that. Did you, when you were out and about in public, did you ever start wondering, you know, you're out there with your bag and nobody really knew that you had that. Did you ever start wondering what other things people might have had uh, around you at different restaurants or walking around? Who else had an ostomy bag or who had uh, something else, a catheter inside or Anything else? I, yeah, I, I did at times. I did at times considering that there were certain, you know, I didn't, towards the end when I was a little bit more healthy after my um, chemotherapy treatment had ended and I was a little bit, I was a little bit healthier and able to, to go out into public, uh, into the public. I, I, I did wonder that a little bit about certain people because people couldn't necessarily tell that I was wearing a bag. Uh, however, I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't focus on that considering that, um, it's, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole wondering (laughs) what other people might have or not have, or be going through, you know, it's sort of an endless, um, thing that you could think about in terms of, you know, uh, the other, you know, other, what other people might, might be experiencing or, or, or might be facing. You also had uh, something that we didn't talk about much. You had a port put in uh, into one of your uh, blood vessels right under your collarbone or your clavicle right at the initial surgery, and that stayed with you for many months. That was to draw bloods and sometimes to give you medications. How was it dealing with that all the time? You know, for me, uh, dealing with the port is very common for people that are going through chemotherapy uh, and other types of treatments. Uh, for me, it was uh, it wasn't compared to the fact that I had a bag. It wasn't um, it wasn't really any impact on me at all. It was there were certainly uh, aspects of it that were more convenient, so they didn't have to tap into my arm for things like hydration or medication, and so that was certainly convenient. Uh, it wasn't terribly noticeable. It does lie underneath the skin, uh, and so you know, for me, um, compared to everything else that I was going through. Uh, really not a big deal. So let's talk about what you were going through. So now you finished the pre-surgical chemotherapy and radiation therapy, and that wasn't too bad. You had a few little episodes of things going on, uh, but you survived through that, and you had your surgery, and now you had your ileostomy, and now you were faced with uh, more chemotherapy, no radiation, but the chemotherapy, uh, they told you it was going to be a little more intense this time. So 
tell us a little bit about the chemo and your experience with that. For my chemo regimen after surgery, I, you know, they give you the, typically the standard regimen is about six months of chemotherapy. And so I had about six weeks of that while I was going through radiation. So I had about four and a half more months of chemo, uh, following surgery. It started about a month after, uh, after my surgery. And for me, the second round of chemo was, um, a two drug combination. One was the same drug that I took uh, while I was going through radiation, which was pill-based, which is to say it's convenient. You can do it at home. Uh, and the other drug was a much more powerful drug that was uh, going to be uh, once uh, every three weeks for, for a total of uh, 18 weeks for six sessions. And, you know, two-hour intravenous, uh, as is the more common uh, chemotherapy, and I actually only made it through two of those because of the side effects that I had with that particular drug. Uh, that drug had, had um, much more significant side effects on me personally. And given the fact that there was a marginal benefit, according to my oncologist, for uh, not just that drug, but also this, the, this um, post-surgical round of chemotherapy, uh, he decided that it, it was advisable to uh, not continue with that particular drug. I did continue with the pill-based drug for another, uh, you know, four months. Uh, when you say complications and side effects, give us some examples of that, please. The uh, the more powerful um, uh, drug, which was oxaliplatin that I was on, had... Um, uh, one of the... I, I, had an, I had an allergic reaction to the drug, uh, it, it had, one of the one of the uh, side effects of that is sensitivity to cold, whether it's cold air, or cold liquids, or you know whatever it might be. Don't put your hand in the refrigerator. Don't touch cold things. Don't go outside um, without gloves and a mask on. Don't breathe in cold air. When I got home from the second uh, intravenous drug session for that one, um, I had a sip of room temperature water. And my throat swelled up to the point of restricting probably 95% of my airflow for, you know, probably two or three minutes. Um, it's, it slowly got back so that I could breathe. But uh, when I, and, and my, um, my mouth and throat was swollen and I couldn't speak very well uh, for the remainder of the day. Uh, when my oncologist heard that, you know, he thought that it was it was advisable to probably not continue with that. Um, but there was other uh, there were other aspects of that drug. Lost my appetite. Um, I didn't I didn't have uh, nausea or vomiting at least to that point after the two sessions. Um, but I did lose quite a bit of weight. Had had no desire in eating, um, and there was some fatigue as well for sure with that drug. Did you ever get hospitalized for anything? I was hospitalized uh, after about uh, six weeks. Uh, that was due to, we're not quite sure what it was due to. It was dehydration, which is a very common side effect of, um, of the pill brace drug that I was taking. So I had uh, about, uh, two, about uh, five or six weeks after I started the second round of chemo, I had three trips to the ER. I had two hospitalizations. One was for about five days, and um, it was just for dehydration. So they had me hooked up to an IV. You know, the body was just trying to uh, get rid of everything inside, and uh, it was it was um, 
I turned out that it, I, I learned after that that it turned it, it was actually more serious than it seemed at the time because I felt like I was hooked up to an IV and my fluid was being replaced. Um, but my oncologist did say later, after I'd recovered from that, that it was uh, a more serious situation than I had uh, that I knew at the time. Uh, would you have liked to have known at, that at the time, or was it good to find out afterwards? It was probably better to find out afterwards, um, you know, because I'm not sure that you can do anything with that information other than worry, and worrying and, and stress is not helpful to the recovery process. Okay. So one of the things that we didn't mention right now is that after they did the surgery on you where they took out that part of your colon uh, that had the cancer in it, and they took out some of the lymph nodes. What what, what did the biopsies or the the uh, pathology show of that that surgery? The the surgery that I had, um, and to sort of give you a sense, I had I had surgery in September of 2015, where they um, took out a part of the colon and part of the rectum where the tumor was, including the margin, and uh, they ended up taking taking out nine lymph nodes. I think they try to shoot for around 12, but as a function of the radiation process, uh, there, were, there were several lymph nodes that were just destroyed, and so they weren't able to be removed because they weren't there. But they did take out nine lymph nodes, and obviously they test those to see if the cancer has spread to those. In my case, I was very fortunate the cancer had not spread. There was no evidence that the cancer had spread to those nine lymph nodes that they removed. And uh, so that was obviously great, great news for me. And, and you don't know that until they're able to uh, take those lymph nodes out and test them. I, I remember a, a physician was telling me sort of early in this process that um, one of the things that, uh, you know, doctors, uh, doctors know a lot. And I realize I'm speaking with the doctor now, but doctors know a tremendous amount of information. But there's an even much larger amount of information that doctors don't know. And one of the things that, that medical technology and, and this sort of state of healthcare right now uh, does not allow for is to know whether lymph nodes are, uh, are, are impacted by cancer, by the spread of cancer, without removing them from your body. So one of the physicians that I was working with said, 20 years from now, we might be able to tell you that whether the, the cancer is in your lymph nodes without having to cut you open and take them out and test them, but we're not there yet. Uh, and that would help with the staging and the staging would, and that knowledge would help with the treatment. You know, we're obviously not there yet uh, and that's the way it is now. But um, I think that's something that's sort of important to remember is, uh, is doctors don't necessarily know everything. And there are certain things that uh, need to be tested for and uh, processed to be able to provide additional information. But there are going to be plenty of times when information is just not going to be attainable as part of uh, treatment or this or a, a process. That's why Christina and I do the show. I know most of the medical stuff, and she knows everything else, right, Christina? <laughs> well, at least I take a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so now you're having your chemo. You finish your chemo. And we're getting ready to take you back to surgery. Any preparation for your surgery where they were going to uh, close up the ileostomy and put you back to normal and reconnect you? How did you prepare for that? 
One of the things that um, I did for both of my surgeries, and I would certainly recommend this for anybody that's going through any kind of medical treatment, is to try to position yourself for the best possible outcome, whether it's surgery, whether it's chemotherapy, or any, any, any other kind of medical treatment. And, and that, can, that can be done on a number of different planes. Uh, you know, the mind-body-spirit uh, way to approach it is certainly... Uh, something that I would uh, I have found to be very effective for me. One of the things that I did in particular was try to get my body in as good of shape as possible to try to be as strong as possible for surgery. Surgery takes a lot out of you, you know. Whenever it's an it's an impact on your body, and so if you can get your body to the point uh, to to get it to be as reasonably as strong as possible, you're gonna. You're going to recover more quickly. You're going to endure the impact on your body uh, better. And uh, so, you know, getting your body physically in shape is something that I concentrated on uh, in addition to uh, the, the, the mind and the spirit part. You know, meditating, try to, trying to meditate, trying to reduce your stress level, thinking positively about the surgery itself and about the uh, about what will happen after the surgery. So sort of on all those fronts, uh, I approached both surgeries uh, in the same way. Beautiful. I think that'll be very helpful for a lot of people. So you had your surgery and you came out of it. How did you recover from this surgery? Well, my doctor, my surgeon, uh, who I had a tremendous amount of confidence in, very, very, very happy with, um, said I should plan to be in the hospital for two to four days. Obviously, I was thinking more two. It ended up being four, um, which was which was okay. But, um, you know, I, considering I had major surgery in September, this surgery was on April 1, April Fool's Day, 2016. And I, um, uh, to bookend the previous surgery, which was on 9-11 in 2015. So I'm picking, I'm picking good dates for my surgery. <laughs> Amazing. Um, they didn't. They, there wasn't a problem getting a, a, an operating room. I think on either one of those two days. So, <laughs> no. um, but they, uh, you know, I uh, it, the the second surgery I had was was less less complicated and um, a, a little bit a little bit more simple than than the first one was, and I had very good results with the first one. So I had confidence going into the second surgery, um, and. There was also this great outcome of not having the bag anymore as a result of this particular surgery. That's the whole point of it. And so um, I was looking forward to it. I, you know, you had to wait. Um, I think I waited four weeks after the end of my chemotherapy to have the body recover uh, from the impact of the chemotherapy. Um, and so it was. Um, I I was I had confidence going in, and and I had a good outcome. Beautiful. So at this point. You are considered cured and cancer-free? Well, there's no evidence of cancer. Obviously, with any kind of cancer, you have to monitor the body for you know, three, four, five years and make sure uh, that it's not lurking somewhere in your body, and I'm certainly aware of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, and you, know, you do regular testing, and you do a, a scan, I think, once a year or once every I don't know, eight, eight or ten months, something like that. So I'm, I'm in a situation now, like most cancer patients following treatment, where you wait and you see and you monitor the situation. I, you know, I taught, a friend of mine has uh, had colon surgery about uh, eight years ago, and you know, so he's in that post five year um, uh, stage, which is uh, where I plan to be uh, four years from now. 
Excellent. One of the uh, things that we don't talk about, and I think this would be very interesting, <clears throat> is that when you're going through the process and you have the diagnosis, you have a mindset, there's a lot of fear, you have the cancer, you're trying to get healed from it, you go through the chemo, radiation, surgeries, more surgeries, and then you have your final surgery and you're healed, uh, essentially, and you have that mindset of healing that you've been dealing with for a year now. How do you shift from that mindset of healing into moving forward? Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's one thing that I did not see coming. When you're in treatment, um, what, how I approach it and how I, I would encourage others to approach it is that you're on 24-7. So you are concentrating on trying to affect the best outcome that you can have, regardless of what your treatment is, if it's chemotherapy, if it's radiation, if it's surgery, if it's you know whatever it is. You are every day thinking about how you can have the best outcome from this. So when you're on the radiation table, you're thinking about you're welcoming that into your body because it's going to heal you. So throughout the entire treatment process, you know, preparing for surgery, whatever it might be, in my case, it was, almost, it was about a year long, you're thinking about and concentrating on positive outcomes and preparing for that positive outcome. When I realized that um, th what was symbolic for me to represent the end of treatment was when I had my first post-operative visit with my surgeon on the second surgery, and he removed uh, you know, the staples that I had for the, uh, for the incision. And I realized after that the next day that my treatment was over because I'm going to meet with doctors periodically and I'm going to have the scans, but it's in a monitoring uh, situation now. Uh, or a monitoring phase, and you know, now what do I do with with that concentration and that energy that was previously focused on my treatment and trying to have the best outcome possible with that? What do I do with that energy now? And and I'm still going through that uh, that that adjustment period right now. It, it it took me a little bit by surprise because I, I woke up one day and I realized I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not taking pills. I'm not going to the radiation lab. I'm not preparing for surgery. I don't have to do X, Y, and Z um, that I've been doing for the past year. And so I'm in the process now of sort of pivoting to the future in terms of taking care of myself and, um, and making sure that I'm going to maintain this level of health uh, following the end of my treatment. So that's that's one thing that I would encourage people to at least be aware of that are going through that, that are going through treatment is that's the treatment at some point is going to end and that's a good thing. but try to think about uh, what's going to happen after that uh, in advance if you can. Scott, that's really magnificent. Um... Uh, how you've held on to such positive energy, and and I'm sure that that's really helped you progress through all this. Um, I have a question which which comes up quite often uh, with others that I I know that have been diagnosed with cancers, etc. What happens when you inform others of your situation, um, and I'm sure you've had an array of reactions. 
can can you share with us how you would approach those different reactions when you inform people of what you're dealing with? That's a great question. Um, it, you know, we went through a very painful process at the beginning of this. When we learned of the diagnosis, we had to tell our friends and family. And it was, uh, it was a painful process to do. Um, you obviously have to do it. Uh, my opinion, you know, people handle this question differently because I've seen people who have been diagnosed with cancer and they tend to try to keep it to themselves or they don't want attention or they don't, sometimes they don't even want people to know about it, which is foreign to me because um, people are going to find out and people want to help and you're going to need help. Help is going to be beneficial to anybody going through treatment. So, you know, telling people um, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable and difficult process. It's best to do it with a partner and a, or a spouse if you have one. Uh, that's, um, that's critical, in my opinion. That's certainly been my experience. But as far as telling people in general, my philosophy is honesty is going to benefit you in the long term, certainly in not only in life, but in, in how you face the uh, face what's in front of you. And so, you know, your friends and family are all around to help you being honest with them and, and being direct and saying, there's a lot I don't know. I've just been diagnosed. You know, we don't know what the future is going to be, but here's, here's what I know. And I know I can count on you. Mm. Lovely. Thank you. Scott, is there anything you would have done differently looking back? Uh, great question. Um, there's some things there, there are probably some things that I would have, I don't know that I would have done them differently, but I should have done them differently. Uh, and for me, diet is always a challenge. I don't, um, I don't have the greatest diet and, and I know diet is, is, is extremely important, but I still don't necessarily honor that, um, that, that issue. Um, but, you know, nutrition um, is, is extremely important. I think I had a tremendous partner in my wife, Cindy, going through all of this. And so she was, um, she was making sure that we were both doing the, uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily say the right thing, but the best thing that we could at, that partic- at whatever particular time it was. So I think that we handled our case uh, pretty well in terms of the decisions that we made and, and how we approached all of that. Um, I certainly took advantage of your assistance and I would encourage uh, anyone who's facing a diagnosis of cancer to, you know, learn as much as you can and to, and I like the analogy of, of being a CEO of your own treatment. That's, 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 that's great. You know, you own it. It's yours. The patient is the one that makes the decisions in order to make decisions, you need to know as much as possible to be able to make the best decision for you as the patient. And so there's a, there's a, there's a very, um, you know, there's a very common reaction to simply do whatever the doctors tell you to do and, and not get a second opinion. Uh, I don't subscribe to that. I think that you need to, as a patient, you need to be an educated patient. Um, and, and I think we were so, uh, I think there's probably, you know, little things that um, along the way that we probably could have done better, I think, with anything. I think probably rest and relaxation 
uh, and and trying to reduce that stress level is is one thing that we could have probably done some improvement on. But I think in general, I think we were fairly happy with how we navigated the whole process. Yeah, I would second the part about uh, Cindy. Everyone should have a Cindy in their life. <laughs> Scott, uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and this will be your third health tip. I wonder if the pressure of a third health tip is more difficult than uh, having your ileostomy revised. I, w- I wouldn't go that far, but I would say I will say that um, I, I sort of you know gave some thought to um, to how I can help others um, in this in this particular situation. And, um, you know, we've talked about the importance of maintaining a positive attitude. We've talked about the importance of having, um, the, uh, you know, approaching this on all different, uh, a number of different planes. Uh, I think, and, you know, maintaining a sense of humor. I think the one thing that, um, perhaps I haven't said enough yet is to, embrace and accept and take advantage of all offers of help that are going to be coming to you as a patient. Friends and family are going to want to help you, and it's in your interest to take advantage of those offers. So, you know, if someone wants to cook a meal for you or bring food over or run an errand for you, let them do that. And don't be ashamed of it and don't be embarrassed by it. this is something that is is going to be good for you. Other people are happy to do that. And for whatever reason, you know, our, our American, you know, sense of independence might get in the way of trying to um, not only take advantage of those offers of assistance, but, uh, but, but negatively impact our health because of it. And so I, that, that's sort of a small tip, but something I think is really important to keep in mind is to take advantage of all offers of help that that come your way. I think it's actually a big tip. Scott, when we first met, you had told me that just before uh, this diagnosis, you were planning on uh, an adventure abroad, and you had to cancel that. And I promised you at the uh, beginning of our work that at some point uh, you'd be making another plan. Do you have another plan? Well, we had a trip planned to Africa. We were going to leave about two weeks after I got diagnosed, so we had to cancel that. Um, uh, but this summer, uh, a year later, we are going to be going to uh, spend some time uh, both in Amsterdam and uh, about a week or so in the south of France. That's mm-hmm. going to be in July at the height of the tour season. <laughs> so um, we are very much looking forward to that as a little bit of uh, you know, R&R after this year of treatment that we've been through. And we're looking forward to that for sure. Beautiful. Full circle. I'm grateful to our very special guest, Scott Spaulding, for uh, sharing with us through this amazing journey. And I know his journey will help other people on their journey. I would also like to thank all of my teachers and healers for bringing me to the place I am today. Thanking you, Yoga Hub and Christina and Segovia, for putting Magical Medical Tour together. And I look forward to getting together again on Magical Medical Tour with all of you as we explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Thank you very much, Scott. And until our next meeting, I wish you all optimal health. Yes, thank you so much, Scott, for sharing your courage and, and really your experience in this journey. It's been 
magnificent and you have touched many lives many of the people that i know you have touched their lives and and we're all grateful for your time and your energy and your positive thinking and of course dr glenn woolman thank you for a wonderful show and to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information we're grateful for your continuous support and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better we would like to, if you would like to connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so through his website, glennwoolman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath. And of course, do follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. Now, if you have questions or comments for our wonderful guest, Scott Spaulding, please simply leave your comment or question. Uh, you can type it in or call us here um, at Yoga Hub at 818-LET'S-TALK, 818-LET'S-TALK. And we will be sure to get your message over to Scott and um, have a reply for you, hopefully. Okay, so take care and thank you so much uh, to everyone again for your nominations and we look forward to your support. Please subscribe to our channel on YouTube, uh, like us and uh, share what we're sharing with you. Thank you so much. Until next time, namaste. Between 80 to 90% of the people in the world today in the 21st century have this problem of candida overgrowth. And you know what has led to, you know, it's the 21st century with antibiotics, chlorinated water, too much carbohydrates, too much sugar, too much yeasts and sweets that has created this overgrowth within us of candida that leads to a plethora of problems that is really a common denominator between